Welcome to Gita Wisdom. I'm your host, Joshua Green. So welcome to everybody. Welcome back. This is our, uh, oh, Sam, good to see you again. You look even more beautiful than I remember. You always say that. <laughs> well, it must be the, that new shirt you're wearing. Class this evening, our discussion this evening is about verse 17 from the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Um, here's the Sanskrit for that verse. Yukta hara viharasya, yukta cheshtasya karmasu, yukta svapnava bodasya, yogo bhavati dukaha. Uh, the translation of this verse is as follows. He who is regulated in his habits of eating, sleeping, recreation and work, interesting, recreation and work, can mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. And then in the purport, Srila Prabhupada gives um, examples of uh, um, great Vaishnavas from history who uh, were very strict in their sadhana and their daily practices and who therefore could mitigate um, material pains through their yoga practice. One of the things that um, we've always discussed in our uh, Gita wisdom gatherings is that the Gita can be read on many levels. Uh, Yadunath, I think uh, last week you um, rightly pointed out that there is the immediately accessible, like you call it the service level, the words as they are on the page. So what it says is what it means. So if Krishna says, um, if you regulate your habits of eating, sleeping, work and play, then you can mitigate all material pains by finding that middle ground where you're not going to extremes one way or the other, you can live a, a relatively pain-free existence. That's, that's the immediate access point. What about all the other levels? Um, how many of you by a show of hands have ever attended a performance of Shakespeare's uh, Romeo and Juliet? Okay. Yes, the movie versions also count. If you've only seen a movie version, you can also raise your hand. All right. That famous balcony scene where Juliet says, Romeo, oh Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Well, if you're not familiar with Shakespearean English, you might think that what uh, Juliet is saying is, where are you, Romeo? That's not what she's saying. The word wherefore in Old English means why. What she's saying is, why are you Romeo? Why are you the son of a family that is the enemy of my family? Why are you Romeo? Couldn't you be somebody else? Couldn't you come from another family so that we don't have this conflict in our lives? So without understanding the context, the meaning of the words, uh, the, the sense is completely misconstrued here. So looking at this verse, right? Uh, the, to be temperate, the word in Sanskrit is yukta to be temperate. What does the word temperate mean? If you look in the dictionary, it says to hold within limits, to be moderate, not extreme or excessive, calm and reasonable. All right, well, look what's just happened here, right? Krishna has expanded from the last verse that we discussed yesterday, which referred specifically to eating and sleeping, to now include work and recreation, work and play. Well, what does he mean by this, right? What, let, what if we were to try to go to a deeper level of the meaning of this verse and its relevance for us? What is it saying to us here? 
first of all, how does anyone do that? How does someone on a battlefield remember the context? Context, context, context. Everything is about context. Arjuna is on a battlefield. He doesn't want to fight. Krishna is telling him, you've got to fight. How can he possibly, at the same time, be telling him, but I also think you should be calm. <laughs> you should be equipoised, not excessive. What, how are you reasonable and temperate on a battlefield? What does that even mean? Right? He has a job to do, and it's a tough job. So what's going on here? It seems like a contradiction. So if you go beyond the obvious, which is to take the verse in context, it makes utterly no sense at all. So this is what we mean by going deeper, 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 all the time deeper. Any, Yadonath, I don't know if you've given, had a moment to think about, about this one, but um, how, do, how do we justify this instruction from Krishna to Arjuna literally minutes before he wants him to get involved in a fierce battle by telling him, yukta hara viharasya, you know, be regulated, be moderate, achieve that middle ground. If you're able to do that in recreation and work, <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense on his face. Well, you know, I always, you know, I don't know, you tell me, but I'll tell you what, um, how I always read that verse, because it's, um, he's not eating or sleeping right now. And he's not like eating, sleeping, and uh, having recreation and work right now. So I always took it beyond right now, but like in, in a way that we live our lives. So if you put somebody on the battlefield, they can't just be equipoised. But if a person is living uh, his or her life, um, sort of in training, you know, with regulated eating, regulated sleeping, it's sort of a practice. So for when those moments do come on, when, you know, we happen to find ourselves on a, on a battlefield, that we can summon that um, uh, equipoised nature because we've been living that way. You can't turn it on. You've mm -hmm. got to train yourself. Mm -hmm. That's nice. I like that. Um, it's a lifetime of training so that when the moment comes, you can, even under extreme duress, summon up that ability to remain calm and therefore clear-headed. Your thinking is better. If, if, you're, if you're completely deranged by the, the, the stress and the tension of the moment, how can you think clearly? And to I go wonder, this battle, you need to think clearly. I wonder even if it's a summoning up as much as a, um, this is how you've developed yourself, you know? This is how you hold yourself. So you're, you're present in that situation with these tools that you've been given and have been, and been developing. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there isn't also, almost between the lines of what Krishna is telling Arjuna, another kind of instruction. And let me give you an example. Today, I lost it. I totally lost it. You can ask Anuradha. I don't think she's ever seen me like this. I was frustrated. I was furious. I was finished because I had lost a file on my computer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you put a lot of work into these things. And then if you store it in a particular folder or something, and then it's not there, you, you feel like the universe is conspiring against you. At least that's how I felt at that moment. You know, why should I have put so much time and effort into this thing? And this damn computer 
It can't even carry out a simple function of, of filing it for me so I can come back to it later. And I, you know, I felt it. I felt it in my blood. I felt it in my nerve endings. I felt, wow, I'm really angry. You know, and it had been a while, I think, since I'd been that angry or upset. And I and it forced me to ask, all right, what's really going on here? What's really going on? And I had to, that's why I practiced my yogic breathing, you know, just calm down. Let's think about this a little more. What's really going on here? And I got a bit of a hint by going into that deeper place. The file that I had lost was an accounting of the time that I've been spending recently editing a book about the Holocaust. And the way I've earned a living for the past 20 some odd years is writing books and, do and producing documentary films about this terribly painful, dark time in human history. And I think what was happening there at that moment was it wasn't really the file because I can always reconstitute that, or if I'm a little more level-headed and calm, maybe I'll find it somewhere. But I think the frustration was, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I've been doing this for 20 years, and it's done nothing but put me into depression. Yes, it's helped me earn a living, but I don't want to be steeped in the darkness. Ever since I met my spiritual master, I've wanted to go to the light. I've wanted to live in the beautiful light of Krishna consciousness, Krishna's world. And I'm tired of this. I'm frustrated with this world of the Holocaust. So what was going on was something very, very different and very much, I think, more important than just misplacing a file. And maybe what's happening here is that Krishna is asking Arjuna to go to that deeper place because what he has to confront really requires very astute thinking. And you cannot go into a situation where the stakes are so high. I mean, how much higher can the stakes be than in battle? You know, there are lives at, at risk here. So he's telling Arjuna, you've got to go into this with a calm mind, a really, really clear head, because the slightest mistake Right. Prabhupada gave an example one time of shaving. He said, if, if you're careful when you shave, you can get a nice clean shave. One slip with a razor blade and it's a bloody business. So I think that's, that's, the, that's the deeper instruction for me in this verse is not just create a life for yourself where things are in balance, but go deeper inside what balance means because there's a much bigger game at play here. There's, there's a much higher stakes uh, uh, that, that you're dealing with and you need a clear head to deal with it. So that was my, my take on this. Has anyone here on this uh, uh, discussion this evening ever been involved in mediation? Has anyone had mediation training? I see three hands. It's an extraordinarily powerful tool and I recommend it to everyone. Mediation is a, a skill that came out of Sweden in the post-war years. Uh, mediation is different from adjudication or, or a courtroom uh, case 
because uh, the mediator is not a, a lawyer or a, a, a judge or a jury of any kind. A mediator is someone who has been trained to listen carefully. And when there are two people who are in this, they're just locked into differences and debate and, and uh, angry um, argumentation. A mediator is someone who comes in and is able to find points of commonality so that people who may not have envisioned any way out of that forest are open to some possible alternative to where they are now. It's a wonderful skill. I'll give you an example. Um, in, one, in one of the classes for mediation training, we were given um, two actors came into the room who played a husband and wife and the uh, the wife was saying so the mediator says all right now what brings us here today let me start with you tell me tell us why you think we're here today and the wife is saying my husband goes on business trips all the time he never calls me he never makes sure I know where he is what he's doing I'm totally convinced he's having affairs he does this it gets me furious he dis it's disrespectful of me and my feelings. He has no idea how afraid this makes me. And I, I just want a divorce. And the husband responds, oh, now, now you tell us why you think we're here. And the husband says, she doesn't trust me. All I get is disrespect. If I'm on a business trip, I don't have, to have time to, to call. And uh, she, she, she should trust me more. The mediator might say, okay, Jim, did you hear what Mary said a moment ago? She said, it scares me. Did you hear that? Did you hear what I hear? She said, it scares me. So since you love her, you don't want her to be afraid. Is there something that you think you might be able to do that would help her avoid that fear? So all of a sudden, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about opening up to someone else's responses and feelings about a situation. This is a wonderful skill. It's a wonderful, wonderful skill. Um, it applies across the board, family, friends, work, um, every, absolutely everything. And I believe that Krishna is the ultimate mediator. I think if you read the Bhagavad Gita from the perspective of here's Arjuna as a disputant, right? In, locked in this argument, with the Kauravas, Krishna is performing as the absolute ideal mediator by finding a path out of that bewilderment to a place where Arjuna regains his self-confidence. He regains a sense of grounding. He regains a sense of selfhood. From that perspective, the Bhagavad Gita is an absolutely beautiful study in human psychology. Really wonderful. So this is a wonderful chapter, this sixth chapter. This is, by the way, this is the chapter where Krishna goes through the entire description of the, the uh, Hatha yoga system. It's earlier in this chapter. If you haven't um, read this sixth chapter of Gita before, I recommend it to you. Um, it's a wonderful way of putting yoga practice into some perspective, into the bhakti perspective. In, in preparation for some uh, writing that I've been doing, in addition to Bhagavad Gita, I've been reading a biography of Chaitanya. For those of you who may not be familiar with Chaitanya, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the 
early 16th century, popularized the chanting of the Krishna mantra. There too, um, there's another example of going deeper in some, inside something that I thought I understood. The biography I've been reading is by uh, a man named Shishir Kumar Ghosh, G-H-O-S-E. Uh, Ghosh was best friends with Bhaktivinoda Thakur, one of the great teachers in the Krishna lineage, uh, the end of the 1800s, the beginning of the 20th century. And this biography humanizes the, the community of people around Chaitanya. And as he asks questions that I think legitimately for, for me as an aspiring devotee, I wish I had known to ask years ago. For example, uh, how, how do they come to accept Chaitanya as an avatar of God? If, if we were to meet someone who displayed these amazing symptoms of ecstatic love, how, what would it take to get us past that line of uncertainty? What is it that makes the difference between fully embracing something and considering it but with hesitations? That's a very big question. We don't, we don't have any video recordings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We don't have any firsthand eyewitness accounts by which to judge whether the entire world of bhakti has any substance to it. What we have are the stories and the biographies of the great souls who have been practicing bhakti over the last many hundreds of years. So is there anything more to our yoga than faith? Is there anything to the bhakti tradition uh, in addition to a good feeling that I like what this does for me? I guess that's what I'm asking is, how do you deal with that? Yadonath, how do you deal with that? Do you just go with the flow? You've always struck me as someone very sanguine. You just, you know how to go with the flow. I've always admired that about you. Yeah, man, it's easy that way, bro. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I need to see examples, you know, living examples of uh, people undergoing the process and showing me that there's something to it. And also in my own practice, when I've, uh, uh, when I've learned what the process is, I was told um, what the expecta expectation may be. Actually, it was Raghunath, I remember telling me, so many years ago when he, when he was talking about this um if somebody's giving you directions um they'll, they'll say like okay you go two blocks here there'll be a gas station on the corner on the right make a left there and then go another block uh and there's a stop sign so make a right at that stop sign so you go the two blocks and if there's a gas station on the right it gives you a little bit more faith you know maybe this person's not leading me astray all right so i'll make that left and i'll go and there's another block and there's a stop sign there so uh, you know, if you experience what they tell you you may be experiencing, it builds one's faith. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was very helpful to me uh, because I would go step by step, trying to follow the process to the best of my ability. And um, sure enough, I would see the gas station, I would see the stop sign. And that was really helpful. And really, really helpful was seeing people um, on the path who have been uh, practicing and seeing uh, their qualities. You know, when I, I first started hanging out with 
Krishna devotees. They were largely brahmacharis, they were monks. And uh, I would hang out with them. Uh, I'd go to a, a service and I'd hang out with them and we'd talk after, afterwards. And I really connected with them. And after a short while, for the first time in my life, I found people that I wanted to be like more than the Beatles. Because I had been leave, living my, my life like, I want to be like John Lennon. I want to be like John Lennon. And I always admired George Harrison's uh, spirituality. So I want to be like these guys. But then I met the divorcee and it was really uh, stark for me. Like, this, this seems to be where it's at for me. So seeing people who are living it is inspirational and it increases one's faith because you see it in motion. Yeah, that rings very true for me as well. That was, that was my experience. Uh, I had no idea what the philosophy was all about, but the people were so wonderful. They were caring and uh, happy. They were happy people. When was the last time you met a group of happy people? Can I tell you a short, quick story about that? So in, uh, I had been hanging out with them. I don't remember how long, but in, to my mind, it was maybe several months or something. I'm driving across, um, I think it was 34th Street, driving across town in Manhattan. And there were some devotees. They were doing uh, Harinam, singing, chanting Hare Krishna, dancing in the streets. And it was in the summer, and uh, my window was down, and the car next to me were at a red light, their window was down, and I can hear them making fun of the Krishna devotees. Uh, at this point, you know, I have an attraction to them. I don't know if I consider myself one of them, but there's an attraction, and, and I respect them. And I hear them, and they're laughing, making their jokes, laughing. And there was a pause in that car. And then somebody said, you know, but they do look happy. <laughs> and, and I just got this big smile across my face, and I said, yeah. They do, don't they? <laughs> to myself. They must know something. Yeah, they must know something. <laughs> I want some of that. Well, um, believe it or not, we've come to the end of our half hour. Uh, that was Bhagavad Gita, chapter 6, verse 17. Good. So um, please join me in the Vaisnav Pranam. Banchakalpaturubhyascha kripa sindhu pyaivacha patitanam pavanevyo. Thank you for listening to Gita Wisdom. For more information, please visit gitawisdom.org.